Hello! We have a little announcement before the start of the episode. So we've actually created a Buy Me A Coffee. Buy Me A Coffee is a platform where content creators can gain support from their audience in a more interpersonal format. You can donate on a one-time basis or a subscription for a monthly fee. We love making this show for you guys so much, but it is quite a lot of work. No matter what, we are going to continue making content and expanding into new avenues, but we will be able to do that in a much grander way with your help. One-time donors of less than $5 will receive a shout out on our Twitter and donors of $5 or more will receive a producer credit on the episode following your donation. So if you donate on the day that we post an episode, the next episode you'll be credited as a producer. We are workshopping some other perks down the line for you guys. Um, Some things we have in mind are a private Facebook group for WBR listeners, members-only episodes, access to bloopers, mailing lists with book recommendations, and curated witchy playlists. The possibilities are endless, honestly. We're witches, dear. We can do anything. So, yeah, let us know what you'd be interested in. And how can they do that, Phoenix? You can let us know what kind of perks you would like to receive by sending us an email at witchbereview at gmail.com. There will be links to our Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes of every episode going forward, but you can find us there by searching for our full name, Witch Bitches Review, or our social media handle, WBRCast. Thank you guys so much for all of your support over the last year and a half or however long we've been doing this show. It's been such a blast, and we hope that we can continue to make it for you in the future. Are you a good witch or a bad witch? Hello and welcome to Witch Bitches Review. I am a being of pure goodness and light, devoid of any evil whatsoever. Your angelic guardian, Phoenix Arcana Lightwood. And I'm your actual evil resurrected twin, born of pure human darkness from a horrifying ritual. I'm Siren Rex Fry. And this is the podcast where two actual witches analyze and review representations of witchcraft in media and pop culture. And surprise, we warned you, today we are still talking about the Charmed reboot, and we're going to get into its second season today. According to IMDb, the highest rated episode of this season is episode 18, Don't Look Back in Anger, where Macy goes into one of two comas she will be in in the show. (laughs) She does do that a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) She sings a CeeLo Green song and discovers she has anger issues, duh, and that she met her mom in a very mysterious and dramatic way. You know, that was a good episode though. it was a good episode that is actually my favorite episode of the season so this season overall has a lot higher episode ratings despite in my opinion the story being a bit of a mess uh but the average rating was around 7.1 for every episode which is much higher than that what 4.6 we had going on yeah in season one yeah here's my overall opinion about season two um I really did not like what they were doing in the beginning. And by the end of it, they brought me back in. Um, yeah. Like the, the beginning, the beginning several episodes were very rough. And I kept watching and hoping that I was wrong and that the show was not crashing already. And eventually I got back into it and I was, I liked it. But I wish that 
instead of doing what they did, they would have kept going in their original vein. I agree. They they changed everything. They reformatted the entire show. And to me, this is the beginning of Charmed going from a reboot to just another formulaic CW show that was trying to be like Supernatural. And I could almost handle the drastic change if they had kept some of the elements from before, like if their book hadn't gotten destroyed or if they stayed in Hilltown and had to hide or no, because I like that because this season takes place in Seattle and I think it makes more sense for it to be in a major city. So before we go any further, we of course skipped over the fact that this episode, like the other four episodes on the Charmed reboot will be full of spoilers. Yes. Which you may have gathered from the fact that Phoenix just spoiled everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they changed the entire show. They changed the entire they show. They changed the entire show. Um, but this whole season is basically Charmed season eight meets Buffy season four meets the later season of Supernatural when they have a base. Yeah. So what you said about a formulaic CW show, I think the, the biggest element of that is that in this season... We Okay, so original Charmed was like the manor and the attic. And the Charmed reboot had those same things going on. This, though, in this season, we are given a command center. The yeah. witches have a command center. They call it a command center. Oh, it's just Power like... Rangers. Yeah, it's just like Supergirl at the DOC. It's just like the Flash at Star Labs. It's just like the Power Rangers and Zordon's <laughs> temple or wherever the fuck he is. It's it's just like... It's like Supernatural when they discover the Men of like, Letters yeah, bunker. It's like Supernatural in the bunker. Yeah, it's, it's very that. What really gives me the Supernatural vibe to it is the fact that it kind of looks like the Supernatural bunker, first and foremost. And also that they start going a whole bunch of other random places to solve problems. Yes. Um, with the command center comes this magical witchboard screen that creates portals where they can teleport to anywhere in the world to deal with a problem their witchboard has detected. So the setting of the show goes from Hilltown to being all over the place. Now, that actually doesn't bother me because, okay, let's be real. Um, when you're watching, say, like Buffy or OG Charmed, the fact that all of these problems are all happening in the same city is a bit much. Now, Sunnydale, Sunnydale has its Hellmouth mythology built in, so we can say, like, yeah, the evil is drawn here. The location is the point. Charmed is just like, San Francisco is a big city, and big cities are evil. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Angel does the same thing with L.A. Yeah. Let's be real. Mm -hmm. But Supernatural is at least correct in saying that, hey, it's not just this one place in California. It's actually all of America that sucks. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Or in the case of Supernatural, Canada. Um, <laughs> so, you know, Charmed Reboot Season 2 gets us going all over the world because there are magical problems all over the world, which makes sense because there are actual problems all over the world. <laughs> Yeah. Not just in California. So there's that. Um, Something I do want to say about the command center, though, is I actually think the set design is really cool. And I think being the set designer of the Charmed Reboot command center was probably a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. They they do take the superhero command center trope and they make it really witchy. And I think the set is cool as balls. The set is amazing. The set is amazing. I don't have a problem with the fact that they like got a bigger budget and wanted a new set that was like really cool and like gave them this ability to go other places. I have 
mixed feelings about it for that exact reason. Because I think the concept of the command center is lame, but I think the execution of the command center is awesome. Which is almost the opposite of what normally happens, which is actually kind of interesting. Because normally I like the concept of stuff, but the execution sucks. Yeah, you're right. It is very opposite because I love the command center. I think it looks amazing, but I don't like what it represents for the direction of the show. Exactly. And this is the start of them. I feel very much that I, I feel very much like this is the start of the sisters losing their humanity and not really being a part of the world anymore, which is something about the original Charmed that I really liked. Yeah. Yes. Even some of, even though some of the original sisters' career paths were a little fanciful, they were still part of the real world, and that's not happening in this season. They're taken completely out of the real world. We almost have this like, I mean, I feel like there's an oppression metaphor going on in here, though, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're in hiding. Their identity is what is endangering them. Mm-hmm. So there's very much an element of like they are oppressed for being different for being minorities and they are in hiding for fear of their lives and i mean that happens to people for sure and this is a very interesting metaphor to get us there but that's kind of what it felt like to me so let's let's go over let's go over how everything changes like everything from season 1 that is stripped away like in the first 15 minutes of the episode. <laughs> so the sisters are attacked and during this attack, their book of shadows is destroyed. And uh, as their book of shadows is destroyed, it opens this portal and they're like, Oh, well obviously we have to go through this now because it came out of our book and what else are we going to do? We can't fight without it. So they jump through this portal and the portal takes away their powers. Their powers are stripped away. They end up what? in this weird fucking place with no explanation. There's nobody there to tell them what's going on. Then we spend like the first half of the season figuring out what the fuck happened. Yeah. So in like in 15 minutes, they lose the entire semblance of their lives. Their everything they've built, their careers, their friends, their whole lives are gone. They lose the book of shadows. And they lose their powers. And they think that they lose their house. Yes. And for a while, we do think they've lost the house. So it's like, it's just, it's It's zero to a hundred real fast. It's literally just like, this is season two. We're changing everything. Um, I do want to briefly mention. So, you know, we said at the end of our last episode that the Charmed Ones were becoming the new elders and they didn't pay a single bit of attention to that plot line. Um, they did for a hot second. So what we've learned is that Mel is the only one who's being an elder and that Macy and Maggie are like so over it (laughs) and not interested at all. Um, so we have that going on. But then as soon as they're taken from Hilltown to Seattle, the discussion is over. It's done. It's never brought back up again that they're the elders. Yeah. And all of the people who who needed their help back in Hilltown are left behind and never seen or heard from again. Yeah. And that's what I mean. All of that stuff, like Jada and the Sarkana being the elders, like all the stuff that happened in Hilltown, every every piece of the story that started there is just completely forgotten about. The only thing that comes with them from Hilltown is their fucking house. That's it. Which shows up in an empty lot and is cloaked behind a spell of invisibility so other people can't see it, which lets us keep the set of the house, but... It does, like Phoenix said, it removes them from the world. Yeah. They're not They're not involved in the real world. They don't even have a house in a neighborhood, you know? like. Yeah, and it everywhere just... Everywhere they go is secret. 
Nobody knows where the command center is. Nobody knows where their house is. Nobody's allowed to know. And these are the main two places they are. And it creates this idea that witchcraft is this, like, superhero, super secret, super spy kind of a deal, which I don't <laughs> like. I don't like that it it removes them so far from reality that that they just aren't a part of the world anymore. So I think that... I think that both of the Charmed shows really toe the line between witches are superheroes and witches are oppressed minorities. I feel like the original really danced back and forth with that a lot in a way that I think was good. Um, And season one of the reboot, I think, did really well with that metaphor. But um, here we're just really like witches are superheroes without any discussion of like what the witch identity means historically. That's how it feels. So because they have been zapped through this portal and everything is different and they are in Seattle now, they realize that they're under a building that is called Safe Space. Safe Space Seattle, specifically. I love Safe Space. Again, it's it's a really great set. Um, and the set, I think, has a lot of meaning. Um, Safe Space is fucking cool. It's like this... It's like a... I guess like a communal like workspace slash mall kind of yeah building mm. um for like woke gen zers <laughs> basically <laughs> um it's a coffee shop a, it's got okay i'm sorry it has a coffee shop a bar a gym a witch store a super snowflakey attendant um i would go there i would go there too i would go there all the time <laughs> i i like the everything new... you need yeah, I like I like the new setting of Seattle. It makes more sense to me than Hilltown, and maybe that's because I live in a major city. I don't know. Well, so um, Hilltown is interesting because Hilltown is made up. Yes. Um, Hilltown, Michigan, is not a real place, but it feels pretty real. Um, I also enjoyed this the original. I enjoyed the first season being set in Michigan, um, mm-hmm. because there's not a lot of big shows that like exist canonically in the Midwest. No. Um, and, you know, that's where you and I both are. So Hilltown felt a lot more real to me than, like, San Francisco, you know, or at least more relatable to me. Oh, I yeah. I enjoyed Absolutely. Hilltown. I enjoyed Hilltown. I did like Hilltown. And I, I, I agree with what you're saying. It did feel more relatable because it was in the Midwest and that's where we're both from. Like, if Hilltown were real, I could drive there from where I live right now. And I mean, you go to Michigan too. I I imagine when I watch them in Hilltown, Hilltown feels very similar to me to probably like the size and um, other aspects of the city where I live. Mm -hmm. So I enjoyed that because I don't, I don't live in a big fancy famous city like Chicago. I live in a decent sized city that I am not going to say the name of because I guarantee I'm the only person named Siren in this city and I don't want it to be that easy for y'all to fucking find me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway. But anyway. (laughs) With the new setting, we also have some new characters to introduce. We meet Swan, who is this tiny little Asian girl who is just full of woke snowflake realness. She's just serving. Swan is woke snowflake realness. I love Swan. Um, It kind of seems like you love all the new characters. Um, I think you're correct about that, actually. um, No, I really do enjoy Swan. Swan toes the line between, like, mockery and self-aware comedy 
for me because Swan makes fun of like fragile snowflake young people while also making them seem awesome at the same time. And I'm so there for that. I'm so fucking here for Swan. Fuck yeah, Swan. You are also here for Jordan. Um, but before we move on to that, um, we don't know this yet. We don't learn this until season four, but Swan is yes. also a queer woman of color. Yes. 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 We yes. do not learn that she's queer for another two seasons, but she is. So there's another one. And guess what, guys? She don't die. She don't die. She, she doesn't get not. possessed one time, but she doesn't she die. She does. But also that that probably had to be the most fun that actress had on that show. Can you imagine being the actress who played Swan and you're just very like you're like an NPC basically <laughs> yeah. for the entire time. You're just a minor supporting character. You she well Swan was kind of set dressing rather than a character yeah. for a long time. Yeah. Let's be real. And then suddenly she gets to be possessed by a murderous witch and she goes all fucking out. <laughs> yeah. So I love that, too. I'm sure that actress had a great time doing that episode. Yeah, we love Swan. Uh, we also both really love Jordan. Um, so I love I love Jordan more than anything in the world. Um, actually, it turns out. I spent a lot of time thinking about this. Like, who is my favorite character? Because when I talk about the OG Charmed, like, Piper's my favorite character. Like, there's really no debating it. There's no way to... Like, that's the only option. Um... In this one, Mel started out as my favorite character, and then Maggie kind of became my favorite. But by the end of it, I realized Jordan is the best character on the show. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing about him that I don't completely love. He's beautiful. He's smart. He's elegant. He's strong. He's talented. And he's also cursed by a witch. And he's, but he's also like sensitive and. Through Jordan, we get to explore these issues of, like, black masculinity. Yeah. And, like, how he can't be too emotional, but he can't be unemotional. Like, these lines that he has to toe as a black man to, like, both be a man, be who he is, but also, like, be allowed to exist in the world without repercussions. There's a lot of discussion of that with him, and I think every single bit of it is so tastefully done none of his dialogue is like it's not like contrived or trivial or repetitive jordan yeah. feels very real to me yeah and i i love to watch this actor whose name is jordan by the way <laughs> yes jordan is played by jordan donica um so there's another actor whose character's name is the same as theirs um i just think he does so, he does so well with everything they give him um, I'm obsessed with him. And to to Phoenix's point, this is not even the main point, but it's relevant. He's gorgeous. So beautiful. He is gorgeous. If I met a man who both looked and acted like that, I would plant his penis so far up my asshole that it would never come back out. <laughs> we haven't talked about sex very much in the last couple episodes, so I'm glad you brought that up. Um, do, do whatever you want to me. Just don't leave me ever. <laughs> That's yeah. my opinion on Jordan. Uh, yeah, I love Jordan. I think he's wonderful. Uh, he's a great addition to the cast. And also, like, are you talking about his writing not being contrived or repetitive? The writing is a lot better this season. A lot better. And I didn't... I know what you're saying, but I really didn't think that it was bad in the first season. Um, I did. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'm sure there were moments... 
But for the most part, I enjoyed it. The dialogue in the first season specifically was just not great. Um, the story arc was wonderful, but I think a lot of the character interactions and the way that they spoke to each other in season one was really terrible. Um, We're regressing. We're regressing a little bit, but I just have to say that I focused a lot on Mel's dialogue in season one, and she and I are the same kind of bitch. <laughs> Yes, I know. Because the way that she talks to people, like, she's better than them and knows more. And, like, it's very me. You know, <laughs> I didn't want to talk about this because I didn't want to make fun of her. Because uh, I don't I don't want to slam this show very much because it gets so much hate already. But the way that Melanie Diaz says the word witch, I just cannot get over. Oh, yeah, we definitely skipped that. Um, but there's that part in season one. Phoenix and I talked about this at length. <laughs> where she says, You're a witch. <laughs> You're a witch. <laughs> You're a witch. She's a witch. <laughs> it does happen. It Throughout time, strong women have been called witches and w- <laughs> <laughs> It's just so bad. And then the way that she says the word dangerous. 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 I like that. I'm gonna use that. Dangerous. It's like it's like half it's like sort of dangerous. You know, dangerous. <laughs> We're witches and it's dangerous. Um she just always talks I am like, a I am a dangerous witch. <laughs> she just always just sounds saying. like she's biting into an apple and I just cannot handle it. Um anyway, um another uh character that we meet in this new season is Kat, and she's a fake witch. Um, yeah, so but I want to get into what you're saying, but this is an echo of Nico for me, because Kat is introduced as a Mel love interest, and then quickly exported out of the story. Yeah! She don't, she don't even come back. By the time you're done with Kat, you're like, why was she even there? And I don't think anybody knows. <laughs> no, I think you're right. I don't but, think anybody knows. Cat is, get this, a queer woman of color. She's a queer woman of color. Yes, she is. And she doesn't die. She doesn't die. And she is a uh, work practitioner. Um, um, so Cat is very clearly like a witch like Phoenix and I are witches. Yes. Um, she's not existing in their fantastical universe. Like she's a real witch. And she owns an occult store in this like communal workspace and it's cool as fuck yeah and our <laughs> it's cool as fuck our protagonists uh steal from her <laughs> so th- yes. that's cool so mel looks down on her and i don't they don't address this in a Mm-mm. way that satisfies me um no. mel at one point calls her a fake witch mm-hmm. she literally says that fake witch upstairs she says i will steal supplies from that fake witch upstairs like that is the line yeah and we're like no, that was a big turnoff on Mel for me. I was like, how dare you? Yeah, no, absolutely. And but, but I identified with Kat for sure. And like, here's my like line of thinking with it. Okay, she's a fake witch, but she's real enough for you to steal stuff from her. Yes. So they, they she looks down on Kat, but also she uses Kat 
multiple times. Um, it's revealed that Cat is a medium. Mm-hmm. And that Cat can commune with the dead. Which literally, Cat gets in contact with their mother Marisol and uses the information to save their lives. Yeah. Which, okay, no big deal. Cat also helps Mel figure out how to start to get her powers back. Which results in a psychiatric break on Cat's part. Which is what exports her out of the story, of course. Yeah. And so she can do all of that and she can be exploited for your gain, but she's not a real witch. She's a fake witch. Fuck off, yeah. Mel. So um, the treatment of that sucks. Now, Mel, also, we also learned that Mel is in fact attracted to her and they kiss and everything. Mm-hmm. But but it's, um, I don't know. It's not dealt with well. The cat storyline is not dealt with well. And I really feel like, I don't think they knew what they were doing. No. With her. Well, this whole season... They what they were doing with her. For a good portion of the first part of this season, they don't really feel like they know what they're doing. I feel like it's like episode six when Kat leaves. And she's in like every episode until the point where she's done. Mm-hmm. Um, when she left and didn't come back, like I really was just like, not only do I not know what the show is doing, but neither do they. It took so long for them to get to a story at all. But, you know... Again, in an echo of season one, did they remove Kat from the story because they decided they liked Ruby better? I mean, probably. Yeah. Because I feel like Kat had to leave to make room for Ruby, which is Mel's next girlfriend. And you notice that Mel is only attracted and uh, is interested in long-term connections with other witches. And because, like, they got rid of Nico and she immediately started dating Jada. And when Jada left, then she started being interested in Kat, who was a witch, and then when Kat left, she started dating Ruby, who we didn't know was a witch, but turns out that she's a witch. Mel just really likes being a magical creature slut. So, Well, and that definitely gets explored later. Spoiler. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> yeah. The... No, you're right. This is definitely a foreshadowing to uh, season four arc, for sure. Because she's a witch and she feels so powerful, she doesn't feel like she needs to be a part of the real world as much, especially in season two, because she really leans in hard on being a witch and that being all of her life and her being powerful. Well, yeah. So for Mel, having her powers removed becomes a vendetta for her. We yes. haven't, you know, we really haven't doubled down into what the story of season two is, because I think we're talking about aspects. But um, so... When the witch powers are removed, it's revealed that Macy has a demon power. Thankfully, she's the only one with a power, which is so Prue to be the only one with power. Like, yeah, come me. on, Macy. It's Jesus. so Prue. So Prue of you, Macy. Um, but Macy, because her witch powers were removed, but her demon powers weren't, even though they come from the same place. Wrap your head around that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so Macy can throw fire and Mel and Maggie can't do shit. <laughs> Mel is so upset by this. Mel is, like, refusing to be powerless. Mel is the one going on a quest to figure out how to get their magic back. Like, Macy's fine. She's like, I can throw fire. This is actually probably even better than what I did before, so I'm fine. And Maggie is like, well, I'm thinking about um, getting a job and a boyfriend. Um, (laughs) Mel is like... (laughs) Mel wants her power back now. It's a huge story arc. It puts Kat in danger and gets her out of the story. Mel is all about getting her power back. Mel is about proving to other people that she's not powerless. Mel is about trying to prove to people that her fanny pack pull of potions is cool. <laughs> so honestly, a lot there. so Mel gets so focused on her witchcraft, which is not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing to be interested in and wanted to devote your life to. Lots of witches do. 
it's just like the way that she does it for me is so like, I'm going to be better than you. And I don't like Mel as much this season. I can tell you what I think about it. I think it's relatable as fuck. Um, uh, yeah. Because, because if I'm going around acting like I'm better than everybody and they need me, and then suddenly I have nothing to offer, it would be my entire priority of my life to find a way to have my power back and be useful again. Yeah. Like, being in the situation she's in terrifies me. When their book got destroyed, I was so wholly upset. Yeah. You, could watch, you watch the book burst into flames and be destroyed. Oh my god, that's terrible. Anybody who out there who's made their own book of shadows knows that that's a fucking nightmare. Oh my god, right? yeah. Yeah. That's like hours and hours and hours and hours and days and weeks of your life destroyed a destruction of your own self-created heritage basically yeah Um, so that's awful so no i fully understand the way that mel acts in this season um mel is definitely me we haven't really discussed that i mean obviously mel is me but phoenix which character is you i know which one you like but who is you who is maggie maggie is me um maggie is you she's got parent issues uh she's really emotional she's kind of high maintenance She's a little extra. Uh, And I mean, she's not like season two to four. Maggie is me. Season one. Maggie is not really me. Um, You weren't a sorority girl. No. I mean, I have kissed another girl's boyfriend before, but uh, (laughs) really that was, (laughs) that was the only thing I identified with them. Um, None of them really feel like me because there's, there are things about each of them that I, I can identify with, but because they're, you know, people of color, there's so much about their experiences that I cannot relate to. And especially because they're uh, women of color, specifically. It's hard for me to, like, find anything that I can be like, I identify with that. But I definitely get what you're saying, because Mel's journey is very much about reclaiming her power and reclaiming her witchcraft and that making her feel more powerful, which I think as queer witches is something we can relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do relate to Mel in this season, but I think that Maggie is a lot more... Uh, relatable to me in season two so obviously i acknowledge that i'm not a woman of color i'm I'm not (laughs) yes 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 i wasn't trying to like tell you that there are things about that experience that i will never understand of course but that aside mel is the character mel is the most relatable character for me that i've ever seen on television like watching mel on tv makes me feel so represented in a way that I cannot think of any other character I've ever seen making me feel. Oh, I love that. It's true. It's honestly what I think of her. And it's why I love the show and find it so valuable. No matter, no matter what else about it. I've never seen a character like Mel before. I think she's incredible. I, I can agree with that. I don't think I've ever seen a character like Mel before either. But honestly, we very rarely see in characters like Macy and Maggie either. I think Mel just resonates the most with me. But well, because, like, I, I mean, her experience is your experience in, in like, yes. um, you know, what she does and how she thinks and what she feels about certain subject matter. Like, that's very relatable to you, and I can see where you would identify with her for sure. I I hesitate to say that I relate to Harry the most because he's boring. Um, I feel he's like... okay. I feel <laughs> like maybe... Oh, God. <laughs> I feel like Abigail a little bit is kind of me, too. Um, 
I can see that. Which brings us to our next point. Abigail. Abigail Kane. So, um, let me tell yeah. you that Abigail Kane was the breaking point at which Phoenix and I decided that this had to be four episodes. Do you know um, that we were going to try to do the entire Charmed reboot in one episode of our podcast? <laughs> that was our original plan. That was our original plan. Can you imagine? Um, I told this to Princess Jenny from Hey Adora podcast, and she laughed at me and called me ridiculous, basically. <laughs> um... <laughs> And uh, no, she was right. Um, yeah. No, Phoenix and I were having a Facebook Messenger conversation about Abigail that turned into very many minute long voice messages back and forth. And that was when I realized we cannot, we cannot do this all in one episode. <laughs> no, we cannot. Um, we have a lot to, we have a lot to say about her. The first thing I want to say about Abigail, and then let Phoenix take it away, is that she is played by Poppy Drayton. Um, I think Poppy Drayton is really cool. Poppy Drayton starred in a TV adaptation of one of my favorite books that went really poorly. (laughs) But it wasn't her fault. Um, The first time I saw Poppy was in the Shannara Chronicles, which the first season is based on the book The Elfstones of Shannara, which is one of my favorite books ever. And um, Poppy played Amberly, which was my favorite character in the book. And I thought that she was so great at it in that show but then the show got horrible um so anyway so i like poppy drayton right off the bat already for that reason i fucking love abigail so much i love abigail in the same way that i love faith there is a lot of crossover there yeah yeah she is the faith of this charm reboot she is she's a half demon half witch just like macy but she focuses a lot more on her demon half and her, her like evil evil bisexuality macy is a was born a witch and then had some demon blood put in her abby has a demon father and a witch mother who both suck who both suck, <laughs> who both suck. so bad and it's like no wonder abby is the way that she is with the upbringing that she's had she's been through some yeah. shit she's been through some shit listen oh you know what i take back what i said about maggie being me abigail really is me because i had shitty parents too and i turned out to be a chaotic witch too so you know what so is that why you got so defensive when i was criticizing one of her storylines <laughs> i mean maybe maybe i love abby i love abby because i'm gonna do it again she so she's complicated and she is evil for an extended period of time but she is like she is the like the anti-hero in the way that like Catwoman is an anti-hero. Like sometimes she's a little naughty, but she'll help out. She'll help out. She'll do Abby, her thing. Abby is good and evil. Um I think actually so I think Abigail achieves what Parker and also Cole in the original tried to but could not. Yes. Um, and you know what needed to change? Needed to be a woman. Yes. Abigail really embodies struggling between good and evil, walking in both worlds. Like, she's got that down. And we get two seasons to explore what that is like for her. And the other thing is that um, she's fabulous. (laughs) Yes. uh... She wears, she has on, like, amazing fashion. And she's so witty and bitchy. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, and that's me. Yeah. So so that's hard not to like, obviously. Um she is white, but she's also bisexual. 
So we have another queer woman who doesn't die. Yeah. But I do have some opinions about her bisexuality that I would like to get out there because I've been thinking about this trope for a while. Um, I don't know if this is officially the trope name or if there is a trope for this, but it's just something I've been thinking about. And in my head, I call it evil bisexuality. And what this is to me is when you see a character on TV who you're supposed to know is bad and they're also bisexual and that is explored not in a way to explore what bisexuality is, but sort of like as a flavor of their evil, almost as a, a signifier of their evil or at least a signifier that they don't have any rules to follow or they are cool with moral gray areas. Like, they'll fuck a man or a woman, just like they'll either save you or kill you, you know? Like, it's that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And I really feel like that's how Abby's bisexuality is portrayed, at least at first. I can agree with that. It's like that. Um, Some other characters that I can name, um, Maze or Mazikeen in Lucifer, uh, she has seriously some evil bisexuality going on. And I love Maze, but that is the way her bisexuality is portrayed, in my opinion, is that it is a flavor of her evil, her chaos, her lack of regard for the rules. Um, This one's a little more subtle, but you already mentioned it, because the next thing I was going to say was Faith Lehane from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes. Um, Faith's bisexuality is coded under network standards, but it's very there. Oh, yeah. very, very there. And it is deliberately portrayed in concert with her journey into evil. So she's like, but Buffy, I want to scissor with you. Then she just like kills a bunch of people. And that just goes to show what being horny and gay can do to you. I think a lot of my thoughts about this trope originated while I was watching Lucifer because Maze is the clear example, but Lucifer himself is also bisexual. And I know that the Lucifer is a show about the redemption of the devil, but what are we saying when we say Satan himself is bisexual? There's a lot of, like, uh, tropes and misinformation about bisexuality out there, and I think this is one of them, and I think it's one that I don't hear get spoken about as frequently as the others, so I wanted to take this moment to talk about it. Do I think it's cool that Abby is bisexual? Yes, because it gives her a very interesting relationship with not one but two main characters. I I shipped her and Mel so hard. I shipped her and Mel so hard. Um, I kind of do too, but also not. Um... I, yeah, I, so liked I guess it. I don't have any final thoughts about that other than um, if you have any other examples of evil bisexuality in media, I would love it if you wrote us an email about it. Or if, you know, you are bisexual and you've like felt personally affected by seeing this trope, I'd love to hear about that. Phoenix, how could they email us about that? You can email us at witchbereview at gmail.com. Yeah, I, Abby is my favorite character in season two, her bisexuality aside, like I love that she's a queer woman, don't get me wrong, but I just love her story arc. I love her dichotomy. I love her struggle. Um, She's got some kick-ass powers and like her like witchy powers are so cool. She's a really knowledgeable and talented witch. And I like the way that she kind of, to me, represents what like that idea of witches and demons getting their power from the same place could represent, right? She uses an interconnection of both of those powers to be a really powerful witch. And I think the only reason that she's not more powerful than the Charmed Ones is because they have the power of three. Yeah. Um. So I want to insert just a little bit of plot here. So what happens is that 
Abigail has taken over the demon world and crowned herself their overlord, basically. Yes. And what happens is, so she enters into an alliance with the Charmed Ones, where the Charmed Ones will not go after demons, and demons will not go after witches. Yes. So they basically negotiate this truce between witches and demons. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, Abigail is the demonic leader of that truce, basically. So she has this uneasy relationship with the Charmed Ones, for two seasons and it's very fascinating to me to watch that uneasy relationship continue because they have to work together a lot but they also don't really like each other so there's a lot of like sniping and fighting and like oh my god how are they going to recover from this and like still have to work together and they keep doing it it's very interesting very yeah interesting. i think the relationship and the dynamic that she brings to the show was needed in such a stark change of environment Right. And that's not the only thing that they changed. I really at first didn't like how they changed how the demons were. And I think Abigail softened that blow for me a little bit. I thought it was really cool in the first season how the demons were actually like demonic and scary looking. But considering how much of their budget they probably had to spend on other CGI things in this season, it was not only smart, but kind of cool to change the demons. They became kind of like the mafia. We had this conversation, right? Yes. Yeah, they became like mafia families instead of like a bunch of leather daddies like in the Charmed original, in the original well, Charmed. And so I find that very interesting because I think portraying the demons as mafia families also calls us away from this idea that they're inherently biologically evil. Yeah. Um I also I just found it to I just found it to be a super interesting dynamic. I'm not really into like mob shows or mafia shows or anything like that. Like that doesn't interesting inter- that doesn't interest me at all. But I found it interesting in the context of this show. Um it also it's it's kind of a shame that they didn't really introduce the concept until season 2. I mean, I think they did it to support Abby as a character. Yeah. But if they had had that concept more involved in season one, perhaps the character of Parker would have been more successful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because we see we see Parker as like a victim of the expectations of his family. But we are just seeing it as like his dad and his brother when really it's like it's like a mafia situation. Like Parker doesn't want to be in the mob, but his family is kind of making him and he's scared and doesn't know what to do. And that, to me, makes more sense. But I don't think Nick Hargrove had that information at his fingertips to add to his acting, because I certainly didn't get it. I feel like this element would have made his character in season one much more successful, and I feel like this element makes Abigail's character much more successful. Absolutely, I can agree with that. And also, I... And also, don't we love to see a queer woman taking over the mob and changing things the way she wants them? I think that Parker is a little bit more palatable this season, honestly. Like, he still sucks, but with this new vibe that the demons have, he's more tolerable to watch. I guess, but I was just so over him at this point. And yeah. I was like, why are you not Jada? <laughs> <laughs> like, where is Jada? That's what I'm asking. This this mob mafia situation deal also alleviates the um, the need for them to come up with new ideas and designs for demons all the time but but still incorporating like variations with the different kinds of families and key differences in what their like attributes are so upon further note like analysis i did really like it even if it was kind of like one note all season so if you think you're done listening to us talk about abigail you are wrong because phoenix and i are about to launch into it so here's my issue 
Um, I think that Abigail is a great character, and I like pretty much all of her episodes and how she acts in them. The problem is that they gave her something so unacceptable in her origin story, and they never deal with it. And it it's so upsetting to me because they just didn't have to do that. And it's like they... I don't know. It's almost like they they wanted her to be once and done and then they decided to keep her and they didn't know how to deal with the awful story that they'd given her. So this is where I'm towing the line on whether or not the show does or does not do the dead lesbian syndrome trope. In the first episode of season two, um, the first time they teleport using the witch board to what? Some like Maine or Massachusetts, some New England... Vermont. They go to Vermont. Vermont. Of course it's Vermont. Okay, of course it's Vermont. This is a walking stereotype. Um, Well, I guess not walking anymore. (laughs) In the season two (laughs) premiere, um, the Charmed Ones go to a bed and breakfast in Vermont that is run by two lesbian witches. I have a hard time not feeling for those characters based on that description alone. Um, These two women have been brutally murdered and the Charmed Ones find their corpses. And it's later revealed that their 14-year-old niece was staying with them and she has been kidnapped and sold to demons to be killed. (laughs) Yeah. So that is what has happened there. Um, That's pretty fucking horrible, right? And then we find out, and then we find out, do you know who did this crime? It was Abby. Yeah. (laughs) That is, it is so bad. And she says, so we learn that Abby was being hunted by the faction, which we will get into a little bit later. The faction is the big bad of season two. Abby was being hunted by the faction and she thought she was retaliating against the people who were attacking her by killing these innocent women and selling their niece into demonic slavery. Um, I don't buy that. But that's what happened, though. Well, that's the excuse she gave, but it's just very, it's terrible. It's like, I just want to remove this aspect from the show, because I think that it is so bad. And, um, I have a huge problem with characters being horrible murderers in a completely unjust way and then that is swept under the rug. I have a huge problem with that in television. And I'll tell you what show made me so distasteful of it and it's the fucking vampire diaries (laughs) i cannot stand the vampire diaries for this reason because literally everyone on that show has murdered someone who did not deserve it so unjustly and brutally and painfully and horribly and then we're still just supposed to like them and i've never seen the vampire diaries so and i i don't want to because i think it's kind of lame no offense to the people that do like it i know that it's a popular show i mean the cw has like 57,000 fucking spin-offs of it um so yeah. i should obviously... say to avoid any hate mail i also love the vampire diaries uh but i hate it <laughs> you can hate mail me if you want because i don't like the vampire diaries um yeah so i get what you're saying and i don't disagree with you right i don't think that it was a necessary part of the story, but it doesn't make me dislike Abigail. It doesn't make me think of anything like, because I love other characters that have brutally murdered people and Abigail made up for it. Yeah. She didn't like, it took her a long time to get to like the good side, I guess. Like it took a lot of like healing for her. And you have to think of it this way. Like Abigail, because of her relationship with her mother has a lot of visceral hatred towards witches. 
That is true. And that is not, that's not, that's something I have not given space for yet until you said that. That's true. Um, so while it is unacceptable that she murdered two innocent women, she didn't think of it that way, right? It was like, these witches are just like my fucking mom and I hate that bitch. So I'm going to kill him. It comes from a lot of trauma and turmoil for her with her relationship with her parents, right? And the only reason that she feels like she needs to like lean into the demon world and be the demon overlord is because she doesn't have a good relationship with her witchcraft. Obviously, because of that, she she has this like reverse in her brain, like witchcraft, bad, demon, good, even though her dad was awful too. So she's just looking for like, someone to recognize her for what and who she is. And the Charmed Ones do that, and that initiates a process of healing for her, which she deserves. She she helps more than she hurts, in my opinion. I Okay, so I think that her character growth and redemption arc is successful. I just think that this little bit undermines it completely, because yes, she does. Like, she does redeem herself and become a better person, but I don't think you can make up for the brutal murder of two lesbians going about their daily lives. That's that's just not a concept that I can accept. <laughs> Is that just because you love lesbians so much? <laughs> you, because well, it's you... a big part of it, but I mean, we spent a big chunk of our last episode talking about the problem of murdering lesbians too, you know? But we also said at the end of our last episode that because there are so many, so many, so many queer characters, so many characters of color in this show, eventually it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Well, and yeah, so I also, the reason I still think that the show um, doesn't, this that the show still passes on the trope is because we never see these characters alive. <laughs> Yeah, we don't have a relationship with those characters. We don't no, have. Whatsoever. They they are dead bodies. They are never on screen alive. And maybe the fact that they are lesbians does make it harder for me to accept, a lot harder. But I also just don't like in general. I don't like. I'm about to um, put out a very controversial point. I don't like Spike, and I think Buffy should have killed him a long fucking time ago. And the fact that she didn't makes no fucking sense to me. Uh, agreed. I I don't disagree with you there, at all. I don't like Spike at all. So, but you know, we're so desensitized as a culture to like murder and violence that, you know, when it happens in our communities, it is harder to reconcile with and understand. And you do sort of have this desire to brush it under the rug and not think about it anymore. So you can go about your day and not be terrified all the time. Um, and so I guess it makes sense that you're not allowing that to happen with the, the story with Abby and it shouldn't, she shouldn't be absolved. She should, you know, have remorse and penance that she doesn't really show. But again, it, it's because of her tumultuous relationship with witchcraft in general and being a witch. I think she, while she said maybe it was retaliation, I think her like war on witches at first is because she's destroying things that she doesn't like within herself. Well, I have, so I have a couple of comments. You made me think of so many things when you were talking. Um, you really activated my brain. Um, so I was thinking about, okay, so... In the story of Abby, we don't really get this until season three, but we learned that, like, so Abby's mother, who is a witch, was very abusive to her because of her demon side. Mm -hmm. Like, Abby's mother hated her because she was half demon. Of course, the reason that Abby is half demon is because her mother fucked a demon. <laughs> yep. Like, that, like, you did that. That is a thing that, that your decisions created. 
Okay, so we do we do have to get away from Abby. I I knew this discussion would take forever. We have to get away from Abby. But um I think ultimately my decision is that Abby is a great character and I think that giving the lesbian murder to her was just a very very poor writing choice. Yeah. Um and something uncharacteristic of the show overall. Um when I was studying up on dead lesbian syndrome, you know, a lot of these characters were murdered for shock value. And I think that seeing the dead women brutally murdered in the beginning of the episode is, it's very shocking. It's horrifying. And then, you know, we ascribe that murder to a character with no consequences. That's the other thing. A lot of dead lesbians have no consequences. So I guess that's why I just think it's poor writing. It was shock value with no consequences. The story of Abby would have been better without it. So along with the changes that they made to the demon world, they also made a really significant change with the white lighter, dark lighter mythology. And I love it. And I love it too. So yeah, they they made a pretty significant change to dark lighters and white lighters. And they actually explained the mythology of where they came from, which I really like. Um, Essentially, white lighters were created by stripping all of the immorality of humanity out of a white lighter and leaving just pure goodness. And it was almost like stripping their sin away, which is interesting. Yeah. Or like, uh, do you remember in like Buffy season five when that demon can like split people into like two distinct halves or something? Yes. One is all one thing and one is all the other thing. It's very like that. I skipped that one a lot because it's uh, Xander focused and I hate him. It is Xander focused this episode and who cares? But like, so like white lighters and dark lighters in this universe, one of them. Okay. So they're basically the same person. Um, Mm -hmm. The elders take a dead person and they separate all of their evil qualities into one being and all of their good qualities into another being. And both of these beings now have magic powers. Somehow. Like, like that's a thing. So the dark lighter who destroys the book of shadows is Harry's dark lighter. Yes. It's, it's Rupert Evans playing the dark lighter. He is the white lighter and the dark lighter. And they attempt to give him some more depth with that and he just doesn't do a very good job. Um I will say that like Macy, I am more attracted to the dark lighter version. <laughs> He does a better job playing evil. I will say. Yes. Um, so Macy is super into the dark lighter and uh, it's hot. <laughs> yeah. It just, it creates this really uh, fascinating mythology within the show that's unique to itself and honestly works a lot better than what their original charm did. Cause that shit was stupid. Mm-hmm. Well, because do you remember like just a couple episodes of our pod ago, we were talking about like, what is the origin of dark lighters? What are they? And we immediately, we were like, there's no answer. Like we don't fucking know. Yeah. But we have an answer now and it's a good one. So yeah. And also like when we were talking about dark lighters and white lighters, we talked about like the angel and demon on the shoulder who were kind of like, you know, the good and evil version of yourself, like telling you different things to do. And I feel like this really is that. It absolutely is that. It's so much more because because white lighters were formerly human, it gives them more of like a sense of humanity. Like it makes them make more sense. Cause it's like in the original, it's like, oh, I died and became an angel. Ta-da. Yeah. This this gives it more depth than that. It's like, I may have done horrible things, but I'm still a good person at my core and I can be separated from the evil things that I've done and still be a good person. Well, and that whole thing is fascinating too, because as we're, we learn about like Harry's past, Harry, when he was alive, did he was very complicated. He did a lot of bad things and he did them to try to help his son. Yeah. 
And so he he's embodying that mixture of good and evil and like complicated motivations, you know? And so that really makes sense that the elders would look at a person like that and think, let's, you know, let's make him good and evil. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. It's like, it's like they could notice that there's very, like, there's obviously two separate parts to this person. There's one that is very genuine and good and decent and wants to do the right thing. And one that twists those into a very complicated means, right? So it's like, there's a clear division of like, this is the evil things that he've, he's done, but there's a good reason he did it. So we can pull those things apart from him very easily. Yes. So we have a lot of fodder for moral debate here. Yeah. And I find that enjoyable because morality is not one way or the other. You're not biologically evil or good. You are a human. You are complicated. You have all of these things inside of you. Yeah. Whereas it's like with the backstory of Leo, for example, he's basically portrayed as a fucking saint. Like, yeah. Leo was a great guy alive and now he's a great guy dead. And isn't Leo so great? And there's no humanity to him, really, until, you know, much later when he fucking goes... Leo is probably one of the least complex characters ever, actually. Yeah. The the Dark Lighter is working for the big bad of the season, and they are after magical creatures to try to absorb the source of their power, which comes from this random fucking thing that is not the source of all evil or the flame of magic. It's black amber. Yeah, so there's a lot of new complicated mythology that I am still having trouble following. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's like we haven't done a lot of our segments in this uh, in our conversations about the Charmed reboot because it's a lot harder to do. (laughs) It's like, what are we talking about? I don't even know what's going on. This bullshit's made up. So we're going to try and parse out the Black Amber Big Tree mythology, but it's it's been pretty unclear. Well, it's magic. It doesn't have to make sense. Yeah, thank God for that. Um, (laughs) Black Amber is this, like, goopy black substance that starts, like, seeping out of this spot in the floor of the command center. And then... And then they're like, what if we touch it and we get our powers back? And what if that works for everyone but Mel so she can continue to be really pissed? (laughs) You know? Yeah. (laughs) Uh. Um, And it's connected to this giant tree in a secret room of the command center. What does the tree do exactly? Well, the tree is... I I kind of associated it with, like, the tree of life. The, The middle is here... It's the the physical world. The the roots are the underworld, and the branches are the overworld. Um, and so it's like a connection between realms, uh, which is why it's magical. It is the connection from the spirit world to ours. Yeah, and well, I love the tree of life and what it represents. And I also am just I'm a really big fan of trees in general. Okay, Evan Hansen. Uh, yeah, I don't know what that means, <laughs> but I do like trees. <laughs> I fucking love them. Um, So I'm cool with the tree. You know, I think like the command center, the big tree is a stupid concept, but a cool set. Yeah. Well, the thing is, amber is a is a sap. It's like a tree sap resin. That's what amber is. And and if the the tree is a physical connection to the 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 essence of magic, then it would make sense that. the sap would also contain the essence of magic, but that doesn't really make sense with the whole source of all evil thing from just like last season. Yeah. So I guess, um, 
since we're talking about the big tree, I guess we have to talk about the revelation at the big tree, right? Yeah. So there is a complete revamping of the myth of the charmed ones that takes place mid season two. And we like it. Yes. We like it a lot. Yes, we do. It happens at the big tree. Um, which, which character is the one who guards the tree? Uh, not a Nara, not a Shanti, but the other one, I can't remember her name. Okay. So it's Ishta, Inara, and Ashani. So it's Ishta. Yes. Okay. All right. So back to our actual talk. Okay. So, so at the big tree, which is in the command center, we meet a character named Ishta. Um, she is the guardian of the tree and she reveals to us that, Mel, Maggie, and Macy are not the first Charmed Ones. To which a lot of us were like, yeah, we know. Because... (laughs) This is a reboot. (laughs) Because we watched the original show and the only thing on my fucking Twitter is people bitching about it. (laughs) (laughs) I have to wonder how much complaints about the reboot influenced the decision to include this, but I also just think it's cool. I think it's really cool. It adds like a vampire slayer mythology to it almost. like It does a bit. Yeah, so what we are told now is that there have been several iterations of the Charmed Ones, um, always three of them, and it always ends in an event they call Destruction of the Sisterhood, where one of them dies. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, well, fuck. So this this is pretty huge, and it it's a great homage to the original, really, because, you know, Prue died. Prue did die, In the yeah. original. And they're acknowledging that just because the Vera sisters are the Charmed Ones doesn't mean that they're the only Charmed Ones, which is a little bit of an acknowledgement that the Halliwells are relevant, but I think it also is a slap in the face to all the people who said that the Halliwells are the only true Charmed Ones, which I think sucks, honestly. And when people say that, I don't like that. I don't either. I don't like it at all. And, you know, I didn't, I did not know when I was going to get into this, but I've decided that I'm doing it now. Here's the thing. Um, the argument I see online that the Halliwells are the only true charmed ones and these ones are fake. So you're telling me that the only real witches are the white ones and the brown ones don't matter. They're not real. They're stupid. Like, that's what I hear. Yeah. And um, in the fourth episode of this series, we are going to get more into the racism inherent in that. And I am perfectly aware as I'm saying this, that some of you listening might be very uncomfortable with me saying that a dislike of the reboot is created partially by racism. But I'm saying it. And I'm not saying that you're racist if you don't like the reboot. But I am saying that a lot of dislike for the reboot is racist. Sorry. That's it is. That's fair. That is fair. And I will continue to explain reasons why at a later date, but I almost don't even feel like it's necessary because I feel like I've outlined it pretty clearly. When you're saying the white ones are valid and the brown ones are not, that's racist. Not sorry. Yep. I don't care what other arguments you dress it up in. I'm uninterested. Yeah. Um, so saying that the there are multiple charmed ones with the legacy of destruction opened the door immediately to include the Hallowells, which is an opportunity that they just didn't take right away, which is almost understandable considering that you know COVID happened and the world ended and their season got cut short um but i like i like the mythos that the charmed ones are cyclical i think it's great i think it's great so let's talk about that let's get into our mistaken for this episode wrong
Welcome to You Must Be Myth Taken, the part of the show where we call out the wild inaccuracies and misrepresented figures, features, and creatures in mythology. So I didn't prepare anything to say for this, but I want to talk about the power of three specifically and how it's connected to the Charmed Ones and what they do with it in this show in comparison to what they did in the original. What I really like about the reboot's interpretation of the power of three is that it actually fucking does something. There's a story. There is a mythology behind what the power of three is. The original, I don't think ever quite nails that. No, it doesn't. And so we learn in season four that the charmed ones were created. They didn't just pop up out of nowhere for no reason. The charmed ones were created by all the tribes of magic coming together and sharing their power with three sisters in a time of great need. And this cycle continues and we learned why it continues and why they're reincarnated and why it always goes down the same road. But what I really like about this is that the power of three does something. It gives them an energy. It gives them a force. They activate it in a different way. And it's not just this like random concept that these three witches have and can use at random whenever they want. It's an energy that they can only harness together and that amplifies their powers and can, you know, shoot out of their hands. And it's like a real tangible visual thing as opposed to whatever the fuck the original did. Yeah. Um, do you know what the, what this um, made me think of is this actually calls back to an Egyptian myth a little bit. Ooh. Um, tell me. Yeah. I know, right? Okay, so the reboot power of three, just to reiterate, the nine tribes of magic, whatever they are, came together and they each imbued a bit of their power into these three sisters. Well, I think the point was into one being, but then it, it worked better with three or something. I don't know, it took three people to hold it. It was so powerful. Um, I don't have all of the names correctly in this because I heard this story a long time ago, so I'm sorry. But there is an Egyptian myth where there was a grave threat and none of the gods could handle it by themselves. So every Egyptian god came together and they imbued a little of their power into one being. And together they created a female deity who I want to say is Sekhmet. I'm almost positive that I'm right about that. But of course, if I'm not, please email us at witchbeereview at gmail.com. Um, but anyway, yeah. So there is this story where all the gods came together and imbued their power into one being. And I do remember that it was a bunch of male gods made of women, very vampire slayer. Um, and that this female deity could defeat the problem because she had the powers of all of these beings combined. Oh my God, I love that. And that that is almost absolutely positively where they got this idea from. because I think so too. Because there is, there's so much more references to mythology taken seriously and accurately in this show than in the original show which is something that it does just a lot better in general, that the mythology is taken way more seriously. But the original Charmed Ones, they had a little chant just like the new Charmed Ones do, but their power didn't really do anything. Like when they said that something required the power of three, it just meant that they all three had to be there. There wasn't anything about it that was special. Well, there was the power of three will set us free was their their char- their chant. And it seems like if you say that when all three of you are together, it, basically the magical result is just kind of whatever you need to happen. Um, is what happens. What do they say in the Charmed Reboot? They say like Potentia Trium, Power 3. It really should be Potentia Detrium for Power of 3, but Potentia Trium is shorter and easier to say. But they seem to basically do the same thing every time they do that. They combine their powers together and throw like a magical energy blast or beam Mm -hmm. 
at whoever is fucking with them. And I have I have mixed feelings about that, quite frankly. Like, part of me thinks it's cool, and part of me is like, I don't know, it's like it's a little literal and straightforward. The, that's kind Whereas, of what like, I that's kind of what I like about it, though, is I that see. it it gives you more of a concept of what it is and what it does. And in the original, it's just like whatever the fuck it means in that episode. See, you know, I hear what you're saying, but in the original, for me, the power of three was more like abstract and I guess kind of ultimately powerful and evolving and growing and adaptable. Whereas in the reboot, the power of three literally just means this one blue energy. Fair, fair. But it also amplifies their abilities because there's that part in season four where Maggie's like, I need the power of three to see this thing I need to see. And they touch her and it makes her vision stronger. It's true. I'm not saying it's all that. You know, actually, I guess what I'm saying is as the show goes on, it sort of, turns from this adaptable force between them into nothing but a blue energy beam. I think Mm. that's what happens. And in the original, the power of three is really focused on their sisterhood and their connectedness as sisters, which is something that I have said already in this new show kind of gets lost in the superhero-ness of it all. The, I, so yes, agreed. Um, I think that the mythology behind the power of three in the original show never, it just never quite goes there. The mythology is this, Basically, once upon a time, there was a really powerful witch, and her descendants became more powerful until they were three really powerful witches. Yes. That's the mythology. Yes. And it's very, like, chosen one, three witches in all the world. So, yeah, so, like, it's just, it's foretold that these will be the three most powerful witches ever until they have kids who are more powerful than them, but there's no prophecy about them. Oh, wait, now there is. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's just, like, the power of three is, a long time ago, somebody said that there would be three straight white ladies who are better than everybody else. <laughs> <gasps> Uh, and I just I find these charmed ones so much more relatable and maybe it's because they're modern and I'm a similar age to them but the original charmed power of three was about their sisterhood and the reboot power of three is a tangible force that has a backstory and a mythology but the sisterhood part of it kind of gets lost in the superhero-ness yeah I 100% agree with that I do I think just the one thing I'd like to add before we end the myth taken segment is that like I I especially but both of us have just like kind of trashed the original a lot and it's it's not because we hate the original obviously we love it because we like built a fucking podcast on it so like don't at me but mm-hmm. um we're dealing with a lot of people acting like the original show was just perfect and the new show is trash and neither of those things are true Yes. Yeah. If, if your if your hatred for the reboot is in some way motivated by thinking that the original show is perfect, honey, no. <laughs> okay. Yep. Um, you're gonna need to do a rewatch. And lucky for you, there's a resource that can explain to you all of its problems. It's called Witch Bitches Review. Available wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we learn that the faction is run by two characters that are really rich white people who are pretty much the source of all the world's problems, honestly. Uh, Julian Basically. And, <laughs> Julian and Viv. And I hate that bitch. I hate her so much. I hate her so um, much. Viv is terrible. Viv is terrible. And I think Viv is terribly written. I think Viv is the worst written character ever. I think she's so two-dimensional. I, yeah. She's awful. Um, I think the Conqueror should have been Julian. I think that would have been a little more compelling because he was a little more compelling. Yeah. 
He wanted to save his sister, but like, get over it, Julian. She's dead. Yeah. So we have a lot of concepts going on right now that I guess we should define. Um, so the original Charmed Ones were created to battle the Conqueror. Viv is the second coming of the Conqueror. The Conqueror is a being who sucks up all magic and becomes too powerful and destroys magic entirely or destroys everything because they've taken all the magic. Um, so Viv is that person in the modern era. Yes. And her nephew, Julian, is a love interest of Macy's. The only good thing I can say about Julian, because this is not his best role <laughs> by any means, mm-hmm. but is that he is played by Eric Balfour, who you might know from the pilot episode of Buffy and also from this show called Haven that I really enjoyed. And I think Eric Balfour is so fine. He's hot. So yeah. fine. He's really hot. I like guys with nice arm muscles and big noses. Fuck yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But he's not good in this show. <laughs> he he redeems himself, but he, yeah, he is hurting a lot of magical creatures in the pursuit of science, which is just something that never goes well. Well, it's all portrayed like he didn't really understand what was going on. He's been brainwashed by Viv, blah, blah, blah. Everything, all of the blame for everything is put onto Viv for everything that Julian's been part of. It's all put onto her. Mm-hmm. Like Viv is the two-dimensional big bad and the scapegoat at the same time. And ultimately, spoilers, Viv kills Julian. I found it so incredibly unbelievable. It didn't, it was, no. We were we were led to believe that this woman used her orphaned nephew as a tool for years leading up to this plan, and she never cared for him. Like, that's what they're trying to tell us. And I don't believe it for a second. It's bullshit. I, I think that, well, truthfully, truthfully, what happened is they ran out of time. They didn't have enough episodes for the season and then they got cut short. So they really didn't have enough. They didn't have a full order in the first place, right? They ended up having to finish season two and season three. It, it still would have gone like this, though. Yeah. It still would have been exactly like this because, um, so, you know, season two got cut short by COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, it ended at episode 19. And um, the first three episodes of season three are the finale of season two. Mm-hmm. So okay, I guess I guess a, a typical season is 22 episodes. So maybe if not for COVID, they would have had one extra episode to deal with it. Mm-hmm. But that's it. Like they, they were still down to the wire anyway. Yeah. Well, the thing is, the thing about that, and that's a mistake that this show makes a lot, is like they, they just don't. A lot of really pivotal stuff gets skipped to further the plot. Um, a lot of stuff that could make the show a little bit more uh, multifaceted and more dimensional gets skipped because they have to get to the big bad of it all. They have to figure out the problem and solve it instead of like really giving these characters time to deal with the things that they go through. I just, I, Viv is the worst villain and the worst character yeah. in the show for a certain. I just, nothing about her makes sense. Um, it's very poorly written. She's not realistic. She's not relatable. She's she's not identifiable. It's a terrible, terrible. character. It's a terrible character. Yeah. Yeah. It's a terrible character. You know who's not a terrible character, though? Ruby. I love Ruby. So I wrote in my notes that Ruby was the fourth queer woman of color on the show, but I don't even think that's correct anymore. I think it's more than that. It is. Yeah. I think I've lost count. Um, but she is. Ruby is a queer woman of color. Who doesn't die. She doesn't die. You wrote in the outline that she just doesn't want to be a witch, but it's it's more than that, really. It's obviously more complicated than that, 
But I thought back to one of the discussions we had about Piper, where you said it's so annoying when there are characters who just don't want to be special. And yeah. there's always there's always a character who's special and doesn't want to be. And for me, that was Ruby. Sorry. It, it is. It is. But she, I mean, she's in witchness protection, just like the charmed ones ended up. In but witch- she's not annoying about it. She's, she's not, not annoying about it. She's like, I was in a lot of danger. I didn't like it. And I got out. Here's what I will say about Ruby is that Ruby's whole thing is that she sets clear boundaries mm-hmm. about not being involved with the witchcraft. She's decided for herself that she's done with it. And she sets that boundary with Mel, which puts Mel off a little bit. And things happen that lead Ruby to let go of her boundary and get involved. And it doesn't go well for her. And that's why she sets up a hard boundary again and breaks it off with Mel for good. So good for Ruby and her boundaries. I think Ruby's a boss ass bitch and I really like her and I think she's got cool powers. Um, But it's cool that she doesn't want to be a witch. So the whole crux of this season is kind of opposite from last season, which is a little annoying, honestly. It's magic versus science, whereas last season they worked together a bunch. Um... Yeah. But in this, in season two... I kind of like it. Science is like the antagonist, which is, it's a really common trope in fantasy media, if we're being honest. Like, I think that pretty much every fantasy show I've ever watched has done it at least once. It has. Um, And it does, it does make me think a little bit of Buffy season four. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. It makes me think of that. But I think it's different this time because we have Macy to balance it out. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Because... So the misuse of science with catastrophic effects is a trope that is backed by some real world events, you know, like that's what's going on here because science used poorly can do horrible things. Yes. Did you know that killer bees are not natural, that killer bees were genetically engineered by humans and they never existed before that and now they kill people in a horribly painful way? (laughs) No. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Yeah. Human scientists created killer bees, and now they are out of control and cannot be stopped, and they just exist. Jesus. So, um, science used irresponsibly can be very bad. Yeah, And I think that's the point of this. Yeah, that's the whole premise. Just like how magic used irresponsibly can be very bad, as we learn from from Viv. Um, I right. Think- so that's why I think that this storyline hits different because we have Macy who like embodies the um, balance of magic and science being used in tandem. And Viv is misusing science to misuse magic. Yes. And that's reason 82 that she sucks. So yeah, that's the crux of this season. This is not my favorite season of the show by any means. I like season three a lot more. And I liked season, f- I mean, I'll talk about this when I get there, but I like season four the best. Spoiler. Um, really? Um, okay, you know what? I want to I do this because I love doing stuff like this. Um, rate the seasons in order of best to worst. Rate the seasons in order from best to worst. Um, yeah. Best season one, then season four, then season three, and then season two. I was going to say the exact same thing. <laughs> yes. Yes. 
True story. Season two is the worst one. This is a terrible season of this show. Um, there are parts of there are parts of it that are great, but there are parts of it that are really really terrible. Yeah. So I mentioned earlier that like I, they really threw me off liking the show in the beginning, and then by the end of it, I was like back invested in it. So the fact that the show got cut off at episode nineteen by COVID was like very like emotionally fraught for me because I had just started to really like the show again and I really wanted to know what was going to happen and then they were like JK lol ending on not even a cliffhanger it wasn't even a cliffhanger it was just unresolved it was a real episode 19 you know it was a real episode 19 god damn it so my kill of the day is uh kill of the season phoenix oh sorry 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 it's kill of the season, and I do expect you to make a new jingle, just so you know. Oh, God. <laughs> um, so, there were a lot of deaths this season, some more problematic than others. Uh, I think my favorite kill of the season is Rosemary, because that bitch is dead, Julian. Uh, my kill of the season is, I mean, it's liter- it's season two, um, <laughs> because it was cut short before it was done. It had miles to go before it slept. And they just left me hanging for like a year and a half because fuck you, COVID. That was a shitty thing you did, like being a pandemic and everything. Kill of the day. I don't really have a rating because it just, this was kind of a crappy season. So if I was going to rate it, I would call it crappy. It's <laughs> <laughs> my rating. It's crappy. Wow. That's, I'm. Mean, that's pretty straightforward. We don't normally do that. Huh? I don't even I don't even know what to rate season two. Season two was all about dashing my hopes and then falsely renewing them. <laughs> dashing through the snow. Wait, no, dashing, dashing sirens hopes. Sirens hopes. Yeah. <laughs> dashing <laughs> sirens hopes and a one season open sleigh. <laughs> oh my god! And a one season with an open ending. What? <laughs> uh, maybe that can be your rating. It's just open ended. Yeah. So just like season two. Um, Phoenix and I are also going to end this episode by giving you nothing satisfying. (laughs) 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 Phoenix, where can the people find you? Oh my god, oh this is backwards. Uh, you can find, you can follow me on Instagram at Phoenix Arcana Lightwood. You can follow me on Twitter at Phoenix Arcana underscore. You can follow this podcast at WBRcast across the board. Um, you can follow my new show at Who Died Pod on all social media platforms and keep an eye out for that wherever you get your podcasts very, very soon. Um, Siren, what about you? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Siren Spectacular, on Facebook at Siren Spectacular Non-Binary Meme Witch, or you can watch my coven's YouTube channel, Millennial Incantation. Um, and I do just want to add a couple of things to this. Of course, I mentioned last episode, but I'm going to mention it again because it was a rollicking good time. You should totally go over to Hey Adora, a queer She-Ra podcast, and listen to both of the episodes on Light Spinner because Phoenix and I got to guest star and it was amazing. Talking about witchcraft in the She-Ra universe with two other fabulous, intelligent queers Talking about a show that's really, really gay. Um, And finally, I just want to add in here. So, so far we've done two episodes on a show about women of color. And Phoenix and I are not women, nor are we of color. So, like, we are not, like, the ultimate important opinions here. You know, I think our opinions matter. And I think we're hoping to persuade some of you to give the show a chance. But... 
ultimately, I'd like to hear from some of our listeners. Um, if you are a queer woman of color or a witch of color or just have any other background that's relevant and different than ours um and you've watched the show send us an email at witchbereview at gmail.com and tell us what you think because i literally want to know all right all you unfinished television seasons i know there are a lot of you until next time keep on witching and bitchin bye Bye. ew why did you do that (laughs) Are you a good witch or a bad witch?